The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles on the red table in the back. And those are to help you follow along. All the verses will be on the screen. So if you uh, would rather just sit and watch, that is no problem at all. We are just grateful that you would be with us. So we are going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is towards the back of your Bibles, a little bit in from the back cover. It is, well, in my Bible, it's right here. So, you know, like 100 pages back. But we're going to be doing chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be finishing the book of 1 Corinthians this morning, chapter 3. I'm going to read the last few verses of this chapter 4, so we're going to pray and then we're looking at this together. Chapter 3, verse 18 to 23 of 1 Corinthians. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom, this world, for the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all things are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Let's pray. Father, I pray as we open your word to us this morning that we would get more of you. We would enjoy you, and we would experience your presence among us. It's for Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Nobody, um, no church, no person starts out their life thinking, I want to hit rock bottom. That's not the way anybody starts their life out or has goals for their life, right? Nobody uh, thinks, I really want to bottom out my life, and no church does the same goal, right? Nobody, nobody wait, no church in the morning, wakes up on a Sunday morning, says, welcome to King's Cross Church. Our aim this morning is to hit rock bottom. <laughs> but sometimes it happens where churches get off track or in our personal lives, we get off track, right? We get, we miss the purpose of what God has for us or a church can get off track with missing what God has for them and um, orienting towards the things that God would have for us. Or maybe um, you're here as a uh, exploring Jesus, or you're not a Christian and you think, yeah, but all Christians and all organized religion is off track. I hear you. Uh, that is a way a lot of churches and even our own church can get off track. We can get off track with being about what God is about and orienting around the things that God wants us to be orienting around. But the question this text asks, asks us to ask is, how does that happen? How does a church get off track? We, we can kind of go into, you know, we, maybe our, in our own lives, how we've hit rock bottom, or our friends and family's lives, how they've hit rock bottom. We can kind of go back and kind of, well, this happened, this happened, this happened. How does a church get off track? How does a church get off track from being about loving God and loving Jesus and loving our neighbors? Well, the Corinthian church, you can imagine, they had a number of traumatic experiences that they responded to that caused them to be the way they are. They're maybe marginalized or maybe looked down on or skived at or um, talked about or felt to feel inferior. And there's a lot of traumatic things that can cause us to begin to make 
adjustments in our lives that we don't even, we're not even aware of how we're thinking about them. Like, I don't know if you guys remember, um, we are coming up on, I don't know if this makes you feel old or not, but we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of the Columbine Massacre. I don't know if you guys remember that event. I, we're, April 20th will be the 20th anniversary of that. I remember that event because that happened when I was in eighth grade. It happened when I was in eighth grade, and that, was a, that, that shaped my entire high school experience. Everything about my high school experience. I remember the moment where I was, where I sat down. Of course, back then we didn't have cell phones, so I, I didn't hear about it until I got home, and it came on the news when I was watching MTV or something like that. You know, sat down in the news, and I saw that event, and that event shaped my high school experience. The policies were put in place in school, the ways that teachers and the system had to respond to that to bring safety. Um, you know, obviously a lot of that was good, um, but it, uh, there were some ways in which it was kind of like a little over the top. Like, um, I remember I was one of my classes in high school. I didn't, anybody have like the gym teacher that teaches so, social science or whatever? You're not exactly sure why he teaches social science, but he teaches social science. I, never, I was never sure if he actually read my, my papers, and so I was just like filling the answers with like ridiculous, uh, I was always getting like 100 on them, I was like, ah, I know these are wrong answers here, how did you get this? So I started filling out one day, I was like, um, I'll see if he picks up, like if he actually reads this. So I wrote out like the gates of hell or Satan as like the fill in the blank answers, just to kind of see if like he paid attention. <laughs> I just thought the most ridiculous answers I possibly could. And then he pulled me aside the next day and was kind of like, hey, like, I've got to report this to the principal because this is, like, serious. And I was like, bro, like, I was just seeing if you paid attention to my assignment, right? But all of that was because, right, of this incredibly horrific event that happened, right? I, there's actually an, a, a documentary that's coming out about that event called We Are Columbine. And as I was watching that, it struck a visceral chord in me. Like, I was just weeping watching this. Um, this trailer for this documentary because it hit me like that event shaped my experience of high school. The experience that I, I, still, I still carry with me to this day, right? You can imagine with the church in Corinth, right? I want us to be sympathetic to them because we can look at them and think, man, they had all this crazy stuff, right? They had, you know, um, Sur the survivor pastor, right? Who's the best pastor possible, right? And they're were, they were all going nuts about who is their favorite pastor, or they had all these like crazy wisdom systems of like who could be the smartest or who is the best. And we can look back on them and be like, man, you guys are so ridiculous. But remember, they were responding to the pressures of their day, of what was going on in their own city, in their own town, where they were feeling marginalized, or there were traumatic events they were trying to do their best with responding to, and they had gotten off track. They had gotten off track of what God had called them to be about. And we have to be careful to not look down on them, but to learn from them, right? right? Even when we have family that makes mistakes, we still call them family, and we learn from their mistakes. So we are going to call, we're going to look at the Corinthian church this morning and say, okay, how can we learn from them how they got off track and they were missing what God had for them? And how can we get back on track and get what God has for us? Right? In this passage we're looking at, there are three times where the Apostle Paul says, let us. It's an invitation. He says, let us do blank. It's an invitation for us as a church to get back on track to this main point of this passage. A thriving church pursues God together. That is what a church is all about. A thriving church pursues what? Not trying to just help our neighbors. Not trying to just have a, a good meals together. Not trying to just help each other. A thriving church is mainly committed to this one goal of pursuing God, getting God.
God. That's what, this, that's what a church is about. That's what we want to be about. So we're going to be looking at this passage. We're going to break it, just go verse by verse, basically. And we're going to ask, how do we pursue God? If that's what the main point of a church is, if that's what a church is all committed to, how do we pursue God? We're going to pick up in verse 18. Let us pursue clarity by self-examination. We're going to look at verse 18. Let us pursue clarity by self-examination. Let no one deceive himself, right? It's pretty clear. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. So what Paul is saying here, what Paul is getting at is he's saying you can have a PhD in being religious and you can miss the point. Right? That's basically that's kind of, you could be super smart. You could be wicked smart in how to be super religious or have all your ducks in a row, or you could be, uh, watch all your TED Talks and get all super smart, and you can miss the point of life. Right? You could be super smart, and you can be missing the point. You can remember what Paul talked about back to chapter 1. Paul talks about these three kind of re- forms of religion that he was going after in chapter one. We talked about this a while back, right? It was uh, impressive religion. Like, how can we just have like the biggest hype show for showing off how great God is, but really it's all about us and how good we are and showing off our talents, right? That was one way of being religious, right? Look how great we are, all the gold and all the smoke and all the stuff that we can blow. This is how great we are. That's one way of doing religion. Or you got the, the, the wicked smart religion, right? The rational religion that shows, you know what? There's parts of the Bible that just don't make sense and are kind of dumb. We're just going to kind of ignore those parts. But the, start, the stuff that's really helpful, like love your neighbors yourself, like that's obvious. So let's, let's do that stuff. We're going to kind of cut the Bible up and keep parts, throw some parts out. Then there's a powerful religion, right? This is what um, the church struggles with a lot these days. How can we impose our will upon other people? How can we show how strong and mighty we are? How can we get right in with the right politicians so that we have the God, God's code enforced upon the country? Right? The, this boastful religion that, that tries to get um, Jesus' reputation on our own terms and build our confidence, not in God, but build our confidence in ourselves. That's what Paul's talking about. If you're wise in this age, Gordon Fee, he comments on this verse, God's people must abandon confidence in the securities of the present age. They must trust fully in the folly of the cross of Christ. Right? God never intended for the church to thrive in any other way than pointing at Jesus and pointing at the cross of Christ. That's what Paul is getting our attention with. No one deceive himself. If anyone thinks, if anyone you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise, right? So you may be asking, does this mean I do not need to go to my doctor? <laughs> because he is saying, right, if anyone thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise, right? Do we need to reject the wisdom of this age? So does mean all those scientists, all those doctors, all those engineers, they don't know what they're talking about. We just need Jesus in our Bibles. That's not what he's talking about, just so you know. That's not what the Bible recommends. I just want you to know I'm very grateful for doctors. <laughs> we want doctors' input and help, right? We want, we want professionals in all different areas of life. But what he's getting at is saying, can I do life on my own terms, and can I do, do God's things in my own way, right? No. You need to follow and join and get God in the way God has laid out for us. So that requires, Paul says, 
get clarity. Don't deceive yourself, but how do you do it? I would say this verse recommends, do not deceive yourself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool. That become a fool, right, that's just a fancy way of him saying, check yourself, right? <laughs> check yourself. Do self-examination. Are you looking at yourself? Are you looking for what you are, are about, right? Which is interesting because what Paul sa- doesn't say here, he doesn't say, you guys need to get out of the church, right? The funny thing about this whole section is that Paul is addressing people that have some serious problems, right? They are all puffed up with their own things, their own thoughts about, here's what it means to follow God and know God and do God in my own way. Look how great I am. But he never says you're not a part of the family, does he? Right? He never looks at these people and says, you aren't a part of Jesus' family. You've got problems, but he doesn't say you're out, right? That's it's funny, you know, the only people that Paul really attacks in the, in the New Testament, in the, whole, in, the, in the New Testament, the only people that Paul attacks and calls out by name are people that are openly in opposition to the church. There are people in the church that are opposed to Paul that he doesn't name, that he says, you know what, those guys got weird motives, they're whacked out, but they're still for Jesus, and I'm, I love them, right? right? So that's why, as we've been kind of working through this, I've been very careful to say, these are the things we want to learn, but I haven't named specific pastors or churches generally, because we might disagree with how other churches, even our own city, do things, but man, they are for Jesus, and we love them. We're going to be committed and work together. So we want to learn not, we want to, what I want to say here is, we want to be known by what we're for, not by what we're against, right? We're, yeah, we're going to learn from our brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, maybe we need to learn some things here, but we're not going to be then known for, yeah, we're going against these people. They're all wrong. No, this verse recommends we get clarity by self-examination. So, the first thing about self-examination, how do we grow in this area, is to be aware I too can be deceived. Right? That's just the first thing, right? First principle, how do you know, how do you grow in, being in self-examination? Well, first of all, just learn I can deceive myself, right? I, I am so good at, telling, at spinning a tale that I can believe my own lie, right? That's, have any of us ever experienced that where you suddenly realize lights go on? I have deceived myself. <laughs> yeah. Man, I have told myself a big load. But the more questions to ask. <laughs> what things do you minimize that are true that offend God? Are there things in your life that you minimize that do actually offend God? Are there things that you're doing, things that you love, things that you enjoy, that God says, that's not the way it's made to be? That's not the way I have joy for you, right? Doing self-examination is actually to grow and being able to say, how am I not in step? How am I not on track with what God's designed for me? And then how do I get back on track? It, just doing the self-examination stuff, right? And this isn't, this isn't to kind of bore down and get down to all the nitty-gritty, but just to say, God, help me. You know what the best thing that you can do for growing in self-examination <laughs> is to have friends in Jesus who care about you, right? That's what missional communities are all about. That's why we have these missional communities. That's why we have friends, friends in the church. Do you invite and receive critique to help you say, you know what, this is an area I've got to address. 
you know, so, you know, you guys know uh, Jay and David um, help, help with the leading of the church. Guys, are there things that I'm, I'm off on? Are there things that I need help on in inviting that input? Who are the people in your life that you are inviting, that you respect them, and you invite their input in your life? Pray for the guidance of the Holy Spirit to convict you, right? I can't see everything. The Holy Spirit can. <laughs> you want the Holy Spirit guiding you, opening your eyes to see, God, where, am I, where am I out of line with who you, what you want from me, what you've designed me for, right? Just so you know, there are a thousand problems in each of our lives. The Holy Spirit will maybe help us identify one or two to do some real work on. The Holy Spirit is not going to like just overwhelm you, barrage you with how horrible a person you are. That's not the work of the Holy Spirit. We already know how horrible we are because Jesus died for people who have messed up lives. The Holy Spirit now is a part of helping us experience the renewal of God to find help and healing in our areas of need. Right? And just a third idea, being a part of mature, having mature Christians around you who have experience, who've got, um, who've got the, the age on the, on the vehicle, you know? They've got like the old Dodge Ram cars of souls, you know? Like they've got the old car souls that are just driving around. I want to get their perspective on life. How do they bring me to have some clarity on who I am, get some self-examination? Okay. Is that, is that tracking? We're on the same page here? All right. We're going to pick up here. All right. So remember, a thriving church pursues God. So how do we do that? First is we are let, let us pursue clarity by self-examination. The second thing this, this passage is laying out for us, let us pursue wisdom by his word. Verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is followed with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So here's what's going on in this passage. Paul is yet again saying, trust in God's wisdom, learn to think God's thoughts after him, think like God, think about things the way God thinks about them. Don't think about them with your American Idol sensibilities about how to do church. And how does he do that? You know what happens? Six times in these first three chapters of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Paul quotes the Bible. Right? He quotes from the Old Testament six times. He quotes from Isaiah, Jeremiah. He quotes from the Psalms. He quotes from the Old Testament. He quotes six times. So every 11 verses, as Paul is addressing them and their need and the, getting them back on track, he is quoting from the Bible. So he is showing them the example of how to get back on track. How do you get back on track? You don't come up with some crazy ideas or you don't read some crazy blog posts. What you do is you say, okay, what has God laid out for us in his word and then how do we come, up, come underneath that, right? He is continue, he's showing us how to get back on track by the way he's addressing the problem, right? He's getting us back to God's Word. So what is this category of wisdom, right? He's saying, he's talking about, for the wisdom of this world is folly with God, right? In contrast to getting the wisdom of God. Wisdom, it's kind of a lost art these days, but we tend to call wisdom street smarts, right? You know, you've been around the block a few times, you kind of know life. You know people when you see them, you kind of know what's going on. That's, that's wisdom, right? When you kind of like, you can see, you're like, okay, there's something. I've been, I've been on this track before. Wisdom is not, it's this huge category in the Bible that's basically saying you have 
you have something like the Ten Commandments, right? The laws of God. Don't do this, do this, right? Don't kill people. <laughs> That's a good law, right? Let's, let's all abide by that today, guys. Let's all not kill people. But then wisdom is when you get back on the, in your car and you come up to the stoplight and then you make a turn and somebody cuts you off, right? What's wisdom? It's filling in the gap between God's law and your life, right? Because God's law says don't kill somebody. And in that moment, you definitely want to kill that guy who just cut you off on the road, right? <laughs> but the point is, no, no, how do I love my neighbor and be kind to him? Please, go in front of me and cut, cut me off again or whatever. Or, you know, don't tailgate him or whatever. <laughs> Wisdom is marrying God's thoughts to our real lives. And we have to think about that for our life together as a church, right? Life on my own terms what Paul is addressing is this whole thing of without God, we feel like we can get life on our own terms and get away with it. At the end of the day, wisdom says this is God's world and he runs the show. Nobody gets away with anything. It might seem like they do. At the end of the day, they do not. Things come back to bite them. And maybe you have experienced this. Wisdom is God-centered. It says God's the one who designed this whole world and this whole world operates on his rules. And it's good for us. It's not just something that's afflicting to us. It's actually good for us. We should want it. So how do we get more of God's thoughts into our real life? One thing is we'd have to recognize this takes time, right? If, God, if wisdom is God's thoughts for real life, you know what the factor is there? It takes time, right? I remember talking to a pastor once. I was like, look, I'm going to be, I'm going to be moving into Manchester. We're going to be uh, planting a church. How do I not make a bunch of dumb decisions in leading a church plant? And he was like, well, buckle up, buddy. That's just the way it goes. <laughs> like, it, it takes time. You know, you learn, oh, that was not a good decision. I need to make some adjustments here. Okay, God, give me some instruction here. Lead me in your thoughts, how you think about things. Okay, all right. I'm sorry for how I made this mistake. Learning my lesson, next decision. Oh, I made another mistake. <laughs> I got to go back and refigure, recalibrate. We're always kind of having to go back and forth. Yep, learning, learning, coming back to the center of God's thoughts. So the question is, today, this week, how are you planning to get more of God's thoughts into your life? How are you planning to get more of this in here? You know, how are, how are you planning to get more of God's thoughts in your life? This is not to say you need to feel some great, uh, obligation or some, I'm not saying go read your entire Bible today, right? All 66 books of the Bible uh, by 10 o'clock tonight. No. Maybe a psalm a day. If you don't know what the psalms are, the psalms are right here in the middle of the Bible, right? They're, you crack open the middle, there's 150 of them. You read one a day, you've got at least four months of reading one psalm a day, right? You just kind of do a little bit at a time, right? Thinking about it, processing it. How does, it fit? How does this reveal who God is and help me live my life today? It's not going to make sense right away. That's why you need to do this together with God's people, right? You go to somebody else who knows their Bible a little bit more than you say, I don't understand what this psalm means. What is this talking about, right? Suddenly we're talking about, you know, mountains falling into the ocean. How does that happen in the desert? I don't know. Okay. Looking at this saying, God, these are your thoughts. Help me to get this. Or read the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is like my favorite book in the whole Bible. Like if I had to have like one book of the Bible on a desert island, actually my, the, 
uh, maybe Jonah, so I could figure out how to build a book, a boat, and get off the island. But if I didn't have a, any other thing, anything else, I would want the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. There's six chapters in it, so you can seven days in a week, right? You got one forgive, forgiveness day, right? You got one cheat day. You can read one chapter of Ephesians a day, and then you got a cheat day to catch up for the one that you missed earlier in the week, right? I, how can we get more of God's word here? Because this is the shape of God's thinking. And how are we going to pursue God together and become a thriving church? It's not just that your pastors know their Bibles. It's that we as a church learn our Bibles, and then we invite more people who don't know anything about the Bible to learn more about the Bible themselves, right? This isn't like some sort of how do we become a PhD in the Bible so all the people who don't know their Bibles can't talk to us anymore. No. How do we learn our Bibles in such a way where the inviting God who comes down and speaks to us with tenderness and compassion so that we can become like him and help the people in our lives, both our families, ourselves, to grow in knowing who God is? What's our plan for knowing God's Word? By the way, if you want an easy way to know God's Word a little bit better, Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock, we've got our catechism class here. Right? That catechism is just a fancy word for a systematic way of learning the Bible. Adam teaches that. It's incredibly helpful because the more Bible we get in here, the more when we come up to the, we bump into the situations in our church and our life together and our families that we don't understand or know what to do with. Okay, I've never experienced it before, but I know what God's thoughts are. God, give me wisdom for how to process this. So we pers- let us pursue wisdom by his word. I'm going to pick up here verse 21. This is going to be maybe an odd way of phrasing this. But a thriving church pursues God together. How do we do that? The third thing that we're seeing here, let us pursue unity by our servants. You're going to say, man, that's a weird phrase. Stick with me. Hang with me a little bit here. Let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. Earlier in this chapter, chapter 3, Paul is addressing their huge, you know, their American idol pastor play, right? Verse 4, uh, for when one says, I follow Paul, or another says, I follow Apollos, are they not merely human, right? What then are Paul, what then is Apollos, what is Paul, right? He's now revisiting that, and he's calling them He's taking their phrase, right? Their their little like uh, their their sweatshirts. Their their sweatshirts would have all said like, "I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos." Right? I'm so great. I'm so smart because I'm I hang out with this guy or I know this guy, right? Their swag. He's taking that phrase and he's turning it on its head, right? It's not I am of, but they are for you, right? And now he is turning that and saying, Paul. You're not of Paul. Paul is for you, right? Your pastors are not there because you exist. Your pastors exist to serve you, right? And then he goes on. He, he, he talks about their pastors, and he makes this huge jump, right? So he goes from saying these, these famous guys that, are, that know their Bibles really well, they are there to serve you. And then what does he do, right? Verse, verse 21 or 22, Paul and Apollos, what are yours? Paul and Apollos and Cephas, right? So those are big famous pastors. And then he jumps to the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, right? You can feel this kind of escalating, what belongs to you? Actually, in Jesus, everything does. 
Everything is your servant. That, that is what he's saying, right? Your pastors, right? So if you listen to John Piper or you listen to Tim Keller or all these guys, you don't listen to them to say, well, I got a mediocre sermon on Sunday. Let me get a real sermon from one of these other guys. That might be true. But they exist as pastors and preachers to serve you in your discipleship to become a Christian, to become a disciple of Jesus and grow in him, right? They exist to serve you, right? But then not only that, but the world, everything in the world, the world is a stage that God has laid all the trials that we face to help us to grow and becoming more like Jesus, to grow in Jesus, right? And then what does he list? The world or life, everything in your life, all the things that are disappointing, the things that you don't like and the things that you don't enjoy, or the things you are enjoying, the things that are good, those are all servants to help you get what? Jesus. And then what does he list? And death, that thing that we all fear, the nothingness beyond the last breath that we all are terrified by, that moment Jesus has conquered and now says, is your servant. It comes in to help you not, at that point, be transported to be with Jesus. The present or the future, right? Is there anything that Paul could leave off the list, right? Today, anything else in the future. All of those things belong to you, right? Gordon Fee again in his commentary, for those in Christ Jesus, what things are formerly tyrannies are now their birthright. This is the glorious freedom of the child of God. We, they are free lords of all things, not bound by the whims of chance or the craziness of life and death. The future is no cause for panic. It is already ours. In light of such expansive realities, how can we say, I am of Paul or Apollos, or how could you say, I am of Jacob? <laughs> right. That is too narrow, too constricted of you. Apollos and Paul and Peter and the whole universe are yours. You do not belong to them. They belong to you as your servants because they are Christ's and Christ is God. The tyrannies of our life, the things that scare us the most, are actually the context, the, the things, the very things that God has designed. Now they belong to Jesus and they become our servants. You are not ruled by the trials of life. They feel domineering and demanding, but in Christ, those things which cause us to get off track actually are the ways God keeps us unified to Jesus and each other. Thabiti Anubwile, I don't know if you know him. He's an African-American brother who's a pastor down in the D.C. area. He said in an Acts 29 conference on suffering, God is as sufficient with our suffering as he is with his son's blood. So just pause there. God who planned for his son to die in our place, to take the wrath of God in our place, who then gives us his free mercy and grace in Jesus, who plans the whole world's history on the center of Jesus Christ and its effect in our lives. What he's saying is the suffering that you experience God has that under control as well. Your suffering Christian is your slave. Your suffering is working for you to produce an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The next time suffering comes into your room, say, welcome my slave, produce for me the glory that God has designed. 
That's what Paul is pointing at here. And these little, these little words, the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. When all the trials and joys of life come into your room and they seek to demand or puff you up, don't give in to them. You look at them and you say, produce for me what Christ has designed. This is for me. This is for me to grow to be more like Jesus. Produce in me more of Jesus because he's your master and you're my slave. These things that that are tyrannies to us, they are designed to build us up. So take care to bring all of life, the fears and tyrannies you've faced or are facing. I don't want to diminish that. Maybe some in this room right now are facing some severe trials and tyrannies in life. Those things, lift your eyes to Jesus because they are in his hand. They are your servants in Jesus to help you, if you're in recovery, for example, to overcome the strain and struggle of recovery. If you're gripped by shame from some past event, they are in his hand to help you to overcome that tyranny. If you're just struggling to pay the bills, that is in his hand to help you to trust his care for you. But we must do it together. This isn't a command to you personally, just to you personally, right? All of these, actually, all these words, you, let's pull a word from our southern brothers, y'all. That's how we get the unity. Because we take those things and we tell each other, here is what I am experiencing, the tyranny or the blessing, both of them. Help me to get more of Jesus out of this. If you're eating a wonderful, rare steak, just just slightly rare, a little pepper on the top, and you just want to consume it super fast, (laughs) ask somebody, Help me to experience the pleasure of Jesus in this because he designed that to have flavors to bless me. If you're walking through trials, if you're walking through suffering right now, I want to give up on God because it seems like he's forgotten me. Help me to find his hand in this. You've got to tell that to somebody else, to turn to other people. See, this is how we get these things together. Right? And I just want to commend you guys. I see our church doing this marvelously. I get reports on what's going on in our small groups. I hear people responding and asking for help together. So this is not in any way a scolding, but a reminder. Let's keep on track. Let us pursue unity by our servants. Let's end this passage here with where Paul ends it. A thriving church pursues God together. The last thing, let us pursue God through God. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God. What an incredible phrase. All is yours, you are Christ, Christ is God. It's almost like a song, right? It's almost like the chorus to a song. He has now said, he's he's kind of transitioning from this point that we were just talking about, that Everything is a servant for you in Jesus. But you, you belong to Jesus. He tenderly holds you in his hand. He cares for you. And it's not just that he's doing this as kind of like some sort of like secret op and God doesn't see it. It's actually because 
Jesus belongs to God because Jesus is not just some great guru of wisdom. He's not just some life example for you to follow. He's not just a guy who died on a tree outside of some crazy city uh, 2,000 years ago. He is actually also a man and God himself. He is the Son of God who belongs to God. He is the Son of God who is God himself. He is in this crazy thing. We were talking about St. Patrick today. St. Patrick's known for the Trinity, right? If you can get your head around the Trinity, man, you are wicked smart. Right? The Trinity is three God, three, one God and three persons, right? Three persons and one God. How does that even happen? I'm one person in one body. I can't imagine being three persons in one body. But that's what the way God is. Three persons in one God. And the Son of God comes and takes on flesh to live our lives, to own our world, to conquer our fears, and then give us all things And of most of all, what does he give us? He gives us God. Right? That is the the trajectory of this is to say, I want you to have God himself. Not a perfect marriage, not perfect finances, not a perfect life, not perfect balance in life, not a perfect work life, rest balance. Those are good things. The purpose of, of the church and the purpose of Jesus' mission is to get you God himself, right? What more would you want? What more could you ask for? You know what, God, that sounds great, but I would like a Tron game in my basement. I would like to have more vacations. I would like to have a few more friends. God, you're great, but I'd like to have these other things too. If you get God, you get everything else lumped in. But if you get everything else without God, you get nothing. That is the trajectory of what Paul is saying. As a church, we, for example, we want to care for our friends in the neighborhood. We want to help people. But if that is our purpose, we've now become a social club and we've forgotten God. We want to help. We want to serve. And we will do that. Right? I, I get emails all the time now from, of ideas of how we can be doing that. Let's do those things. But let's not do those things at the neglect of getting God himself. Because God, if there's anything that this passage tells us, he is happy to hang out with people that have absolute mess of a life, (laughs) right? That's what this Corinthian church is all, they've got a mess going on. But yet Paul looks at them and says, you are Christ's. He wants you. Christ is God. He's got you. Now God has come and dwelt among us so that we get God himself. God freely gives you himself through Jesus. You were designed for joy. You were designed for this purpose. You were designed to have joy in this God. And he comes down to people like us who would like to find our happiness in other things. And he reminds us there's going to be trauma and blessing that happen that are going to shape us one way or the other. We're going to be tempted to get off track with those things. We're going to be tempted to get off kilter and emphasize one thing more than another thing. We're going to get get tempted to make one thing a big deal and one thing not that big a deal. But God is showing us in this passage here a thriving church actually invites self-examination. How do I, what's wrong, what's going on on the inside that I, I need help with? A thriving church Right? A thriving church 
pursues wisdom by His Word. We don't do that. We don't kind of figure out our own psychological categories without God. We want His Word to speak into us. A thriving church pursues unity by our servants. What's, what's going on in our life together that we need to bring to Jesus together that's going to serve us? And at the end of the day, a thriving church pursues God to get God Himself. You guys are great, but I want Jesus. That's what we're here for. You guys are fantastic, but without Jesus, like, I could sleep in on Sunday mornings. But we're here to get Jesus, to get more of God together. Because the God who created all things, from the depths of the ocean to the height of the Himalayan mountains, who creates and knows all the dust particles on the moon, who knows all the, all the planets in our orbit, knows all the, uni- all the cosmos and all the galaxies that orbit, He Himself comes and dwells in this room right now because He wants to give you Himself. So let's ask Him for more of it, more of Him. Let's get more of God together. Let's get more of Him. How do we do that? Respond to His Word. Receive who He is in Jesus and sing about what He's done for us, okay? So let's pray. Father, we want to be a thriving church. But we want to be a thriving church who doesn't have a social club or big slogans. We want to be a thriving church that gets you. We want more of you, God. So I pray that you would dwell among us. You would show us who you are. And you would bless us with more of your presence and make us happy in you. What would we get? Be a thriving church to get more of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.